Welcome to On Aeon, a podcast featuring conversations between colleagues on, well, Aeon. This week, we hear from Rory Maloney about the recent findings from Aeon's 2021 Global Risk Management Survey. And now, this week's host, Joey Raheb. Hello, everybody. My name is Joey Raheb, and I've been a colleague at Aeon for just over five years. At Aeon, I serve in our health solutions practice in Canada as senior vice president and national leader for growth and client engagement. So with me today is Rory Maloney, who has been at Aeon since 2001 and currently serves as Aeon's chief operating officer and head of strategic client advisory for Aeon's large account segment. Rory has unique insights to today's topic, 2021 Global Risk Management Survey Report, because of his wealth of experience with risk finance, analytics, and strategic risk consulting. Rory, thanks for being here today with us. You know, maybe before we jump into the Global Risk Management Survey, I'd like to understand a little bit more about uh, how the survey was conducted, uh, but also what it helped us, Aon, uncover. Sure. Um, so the, the Global Risk Management Survey was something we started in 2007. So we've, we've done eight now. We do them biannually. Uh, and most recently just released our 2021 version. And, you know, you mentioned delivering on United there. Um, in terms of what has evolved and, and the process and the team, it's something that we're really proud of, um, you know, in terms of how we have evolved that, that, those efforts um, in, in developing the Global Risk Management Service. So the actual platform itself has been uh, built on a bespoke basis by the Centre for Innovation Analytics in Dublin. And then the team that contribute to the development of the, the content and the question set in particular come from you know, all across our, our risk consulting group, um, but also from uh, all of our solution lines, um, all of our industry practice groups, um, and all of our geographies. Um, it, it's packaged, uh, I think, really well you know, in a way that um, aligns with our overall Aeon story and Aeon messaging, which requires you know, valuable and critical input from the, the marketing team. And ultimately, it's something that, that our, our network across all solution lines takes to market, whether they're through the account executives or client directors, um, you know, promoting that to our clients and generating that feedback. So, you know, over the years, it's, we now literally get thousands of responses. We conducted in, I think, 11 languages, about 17 different industry groups from over 60 countries. So it's something that we've continued to build momentum uh, from over the years. Um, when I think about how it started in, in 2007, it's quite a simple goal, really, that we really just wanted to get a perspective on how clients ranked their risk to ensure that we were focusing on the right things and maybe get a view for what was coming next um, in, in terms of solution development. And what was really interesting was, yes, we did get that ranking, and that's informed a lot of our thinking ever since. But we, we also got a feel for the, the breadth of, uh, I suppose, subject matter and areas contributing to, to volatility. Um, you know, we started with a list, I think, of, of maybe 40. Um, and in our risk survey of today, it's over, I think it's just about 60 actual issues classified, but um, each of which are ones that, that different clients in different sectors and industries, um, you know, feel, feel very sort of passionately about. Um, I think the second thing that we understood very early on was the fact that, you know, when one thinks of a risk survey, you're thinking about your insurable risks. And I think what we figured out was that, many of those risks were either insurable, partly insurable or not insurable at all. Um, and I think that, you know, partly and none has actually increased over time. And I think in 2021, I think of the list of 60, maybe 15% is insurable and maybe 50% overall insurable or partly insurable. 
So it, you know, has really highlighted just how the sort of risk continuum has moved around and that, that informs how we develop our business. Um, the final thing I'd say is it's been really critical to helping us, I suppose, uncover trends again, which, you know, influence how we support clients. So we've, um, you know, seen a lot about how actual risks are interconnected, requiring that interconnected response from clients. And I think that's, you know, had some part in shaping our Aon United approach to helping clients manage those connected risks across risk and people. Um, you know, we've also understood the industry lens and the nuance at industry level has been hugely important. Um, and it's something that we, you know, have, you know, is a really central theme, how we analyze, you know, our, our data today. We've had the rise of technology. Um, and most recently in 2021, I think, you know, two things have been really evident is that the prominence of what I'd call new forms of volatility, in particular long tail exposures, such as ESG, becoming materially important. And also that transition for what we call event-based analysis um, to impact-based analysis, where actually risk triggers have a ripple effect and impact across other aspects of the business, not just on a single site or, or, or location. So, um, yeah, so it's a it's a evolved process, Joey. I guess so something that you know continues to evolve and 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 inform us as as we move along. Rory, lots of interesting things there that I want to unpack. Okay, first let's go to um, the finding for this year. So cyber topped the risk globally. Um, why do you think it topped the list this year? A couple of reasons. Again, I think cyber, if we if we look back, is something we've sort of seen on the horizon. I think since two thousand and eleven. I think in two thousand and seventeen, it sort of moved into the top five. And I think we predicted even back then that in the coming three or four years, it would become sort of the number one exposure. Um, a lot of that, I think, has to do with just the um, the explosion in technology underpinning core business processes, um, you know, which was, I guess, always likely as, as capability and technology develops. I think it has had some impetus along the way. So, for example, you know, post the last recession, we saw unprecedented decentralization and globalization as a response from a, a largely trying to manage efficiency and, and costs um, and technology enabled that to happen. You know, so I did think it, it changed the, the, the format of, of business, business models. Um, with that, there's the good side and the enabling effect. And obviously with that, it also comes the, you know, the, the downside and the threat vectors that were, you know, affecting that development have also, um, you know, evolved pretty much at the same pace. So, you know, going back to the late 90s and early 2000s, you know, you had the introduction of, you know, cyber events or hacking, which were at that time originally focused on, I guess, stealing essentially or getting hold of personally identifiable information um, and were focused on that, that data theft act aspect. I think over the years, we've since, since that seen that evolve, um, you know, as, as threat vectors understood the ability to disrupt business for whatever reason. Um, and now, you know, we have had an explosion in the last few years, in particular of, of malware supporting ransomware efforts um, around the world. So just to give you, a, you know, a stat on that, I think in 2018 to 2020, the global, you know, ransomware incidents have increased by over, you know, 400%. And I think, again, in the uh, COVID-19 era, the pandemic as businesses have, you know, brought many aspects of businesses that weren't previously online or technology enabled has increased that has increased the platform, um, you know, and the threat vectors have have kind of responded to that to the level we've we've seen today. So I think that's that was always 
logical that it would become more important. I think what's been really interesting just is to track the you know the different aspects of how it has and and more importantly how we manage and mitigate that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in I think you in a lot of ways you can understand or appreciate why it would have been a top risk and it you know, for people in the industry, I think it may feel almost intuitive that it topped the the survey. Were there any Were there any surprises in the results of the survey uh, this year? Um, yeah, I look, Joey. Every year, I think we there's a couple of things where we go well. We didn't expect to to, to see that. I mean, there's maybe three I'll I'll touch on just now. Um, you know, one is um, related to workforce shortages and the whole talent agenda. You know, I think as we talk in terms of um, concepts like the great resignation that's on, on the tips of people's tongues just now. When this was completed in Q1 of 2021, it obviously didn't resonate to the same effect. So I think it came in at number 14. And I think we probably would have expected that to come in, in you know, in the, in the top 10. Um, I think the other area that, which has probably been a trend is that we've expected this before. I've called this what was being underrated probably in 19 as well as the, just the prominence of intellectual property um, risks. You know, I think we've, you know, the, the value of corporate, uh, corporate asset value has, you know, massively shifted from a tangible base to an intangible base in the last 20 years. And the volatility that that exposure creates, you know, is not quite um, translating in terms of, you know, risk prominence from, from corporates just yet. I think it actually um, was something like 53, you know, that low down. So it was a long way off the, the top 10. But again, a surprise for us. And look, I think our feeling on that is maybe that, sorry, it was 43 actually. I think our feeling on that is that maybe the stakeholders that we're engaging with are not necessarily the ones that are, you know, tasked with managing that volatility. Um, but I do think there is a lot that the risk industry could um, bring to the management of that exposure at, a, at, a, at an enterprise level. Um, and the, the final one I'd probably touch on would be um, ESG and, and climate change in particular. I think, you know, given the prominence of the, of, of, the issues, I think, globally, but also now as they're beginning to impact businesses and bring volatility associated with climate transition and change and um, changes in the regulatory environment and changes in the competitive environment. I think climate um, came in at number 23 and ESG came in at 31. There are two things that we probably would have expected to have been higher. And I think I would forecast that, that they will be moving up, not down in the, in the future. Thanks, Rory. For, for those people who may be wondering about ESG or climate change and what that means to them and their organization, you know, what's, what's one or two things that you'd give them as sort of food for thought as they're considering in, in their work for 21 and 2022? Um, well, I think, you know, I think one of the things that's probably close to my heart, obviously, they're, uh, you know, these, these are massive uh, topics in themselves in terms of, uh, you know, how they impact overall uh, corporates, their business, and how corporates conduct their business. If I kind of narrow it down a little bit, um, Joey, just with their sort of a, maybe the risk lens, um, you know, there, there's, again, even the risks that it presents are multifaceted. I think a lot of our focus is on, again, that, that climate transition risk, whether that's associated with maybe change of business processes with adopting a net uh, a carbon neutral footprint at some point in the future, whether that's, uh, you know, regulatory change associated with changing business models. Um, we really would advocate, I guess, having that discussion um, and development of, I suppose, what we call a climate risk register in terms of getting those both risks. And there are some opportunities associated with that as well on the table. 
Um, secondly, you know, quantifying those. And we've done some fantastic work, um, you know, in our business across the risk business, the reinsurance business, and with some of external partners where we have, you know, great capability in terms of identifying scenarios, but also uh, drawing on using AI essentially to draw on lots of available third-party information and incorporate that into a more predictive model for impact on, on, on asset values in the future. Um, and then the third one is, is really building that into business planning so that there, there is a perspective, you know, for that risk exposure as to it influences, um, you know, corporate strategy and in particular corporate risk management strategy of the future. So, you know, a drop in the ocean of the overall topic, but um, that's just one of many of the capabilities we have around the firm in different solution lines, you know, and, and that's something that we're working on now and been pulling together and making more accessible for everybody. Yeah, that's really helpful, Rory. I, I want to come back to a, um, a question that I had from a response in my first question to you. You spent a bit of time talking about insurable versus uninsurable or partially insurable risks. I, I think the preconceived notion from both folks inside of Aon, but also from clients and organizations that work with Aon is that you know, our primary focus is working on insurance. Can you talk about how Aon supports clients in those uninsurable or partially uninsurable risks? And anything in particular that you think might be a good example for people to understand? Yeah, no, listen, thanks for that. Look, an interesting question and one that we, we get a lot. And, um, you know, and one, the, the response I kind of revert to a lot of the time, if, I, if you think of the insurance industry itself, um, you know, I think it plays a vital role in supporting industry and managing those exposures. And, um, you know, think about traditional risks that may be sort of property risks, casualty risks, you know, marine transit risks. Um, for hundreds of years, the industry has collated data on, um, I suppose, the exposure and the claims and what can go wrong. And that has put them in a position, um, you know, when you have scale and diversification to be able to offer, you know, a hedge for those exposures. Um, and it's the underwriting and in particular, the quantification associated with that underwriting that enables that proposition. Now, I suppose what I always say is if you go back to day one of those exposures, there was no data but the exposure was there. And I think with a lot of our emerging exposures, whether that's brand and reputation, whether that's IP, um, or if you go back sort of 15, 20 years, that was cyber. Um, and that's something that we need to, I think uh, as an industry, and I think where we've been really, you know, presented differentiated capability in supporting the develop of a, development of a product offering to do that. Um, what you don't want to do is wait till you have enough events so that you understand it, right? So, you know, our approach, and I think what we've done with cyber has been a good example, has been from the early days working with clients um, and the industry, and by the industry, I mean the insurance markets, to understand the, I suppose, the scenarios that drive events, to understand and building quantitative models to support, you know, the development, you know, both, um, you know, uh, scenario-driven uh, and stochastic um, analysis that puts, you know, the markets in a better position to understand the exposure, um, have an input in terms of how corporates should be managing that exposure, but also offer capacity. And I think in the last 10 years, we've probably seen the capacity offered on an exposure like cyber multiply probably 10 times over um, as we have refined um how we present the risk on behalf of the clients and have, as we've put better quantification to help the industry understand it. So if you apply that logic to, um, you know, whether it's climate exposure, brand and reputation, 
exposure, complex supply chain, contingent business interruption. Um, I think through data and analytics um, and our deep industry insight and the scale of access we have to information, um, you know, across all regions and geographies, that's where I think we're in a unique position to, to build that proposition um, for what I call the emerging portfolio of corporate risk. And I think not only are we able to do it, I think, Joey, actually it's very important that we do do that, that, we, that we're not, you know, saying to an entity, well, you know, you have a basket of risks and we're very good at some of them. I think it's important that, you know, we are addressing, uh, you know, the, the portfolio, both the traditional risks and uh, the new forms of volatility. Um, and you see that referenced a lot internally as to the essentially clients unmet need that, you know, clients are telling us time and time again, they have this exposure, they have this volatility, they need to understand it so that they can invest in mitigation, but also they're looking to us to bring the insurance market to bear from that aspect as well um, in, in the form of um, risk transfer products, which we're, we're working hard on doing. Yeah, and I think that's all really important, especially in the context of what we're talking about, the Global Risk Management Survey, is that these these things, these surveys, the data, the analytics you're talking about is what sets up foundationally what we're doing for clients and, again, helps us differentiate in solutions we bear to markets, to organizations. Um, you know, just bringing us back to the Global uh, Risk Management Survey, the pandemic had a lot to do, I think, with much of what we're seeing in the results. What sort of ripple effects do you think the pandemic will play in, in the results of this survey compared to, to previous ones we've seen? Yeah, no, look, I, I'm, uh, and I'm cognizant of the fact you're using that word ripple effect. And I think that has been, you know, an important, um, uh, something that's, you know, an important factor, I guess, in, in terms of, you know, responding to the, to the pandemic, you know, that this, this has been an enduring long tail event, you know, and, you know, a, when we have a fire, an event, you know, in a factory, stuff gets, you know, shut down, you manage the business interruption and you're up and running. I think the pandemic has, um, has had ripple effects across lots of aspects, you know, of, of, of business and, and generated associated volatility with that. So I think how we've seen that in terms of the current survey um, as we've touched on cyber coming out as, as number one, you know, disruption of that key enabler. But also if you look at some of the others in the top 10, um, things like business interruption, supply chain, um, impact of commodity price, commodity price fluctuation, uh, concerns about changing regulatory environments, they're all derivatives. They're the ripple effects just now as to why these things are, are front of mind. So, you know, as we talk, um, you know, at, at this period, end of year, the challenges with turkeys, Christmas trees, and playstations, they all have, you know, they are reflecting a challenge in the global supply chain, which, you know, there may be, you know, multiple incidents um, contributing to those, but but one of those is, you know, the overall um, slowdown or disruption, you know, generated by the pandemic essentially in the, in the first place. So you, you are seeing that ripple effect. I think, you know, one of the questions Joey, we ask is what we think, um, people consider will be the most important risk in 2024 when we look at the, at the future. And it's very interesting just now, I think people's minds are, you know, they're firmly um, kind of rooted in what they're seeing today. So there's a slightly different order, but it is cyber, it is business interruption. Um, it is commodity price. It is competition. It is, you know, whether the economy will get, get, its, uh, get back on its feet again. So, as I said, in terms of the response, the, the ripple effect, I think, you know, it's been both direct and indirect. Um, and I think it's shaping concerns of the future. Um, 
And that's all in addition to the fact that, you know, I think, you know, we are seeing, you know, business models, um, you know, change in response to that uh, as well. Thank you, Rory. It's been great talking to you today. Um, you know, before we sign off, I do want to ask you a, a more personal question. Um, when you're not working, what is it that you like to do for fun? Um, well, I'm based here in Dublin in Ireland, Joey, and we've uh, had, the, I suppose the, the pandemic experience has been interesting and in that we've, we're, I think we're now about to, as of today, going into our fourth shutdown level of activity. Um, one of the things that has uh, been hit a lot has been sporting activity. Um, so two things in particular, attending anything, any sporting events, I think is, is great. And in particular, I've got three kids who are 20, 17 and, and 15. So it's been great to get back on the side of those pitches, both rugby and hockey again. Uh, so that's something I'm enjoying a lot right now. This has been a conversation on Aon and the 2021 Global Risk Management Survey. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this week's episode, tune in in two weeks to hear Aon's forecasts for 2022. To learn more about Aon, its colleagues, solutions, and news, check out our show notes and visit our website at aon.com.